That is Daniel Galvan. Of course, I am Jason Ford, and we are back for another edition of the MMA Report podcast. It is Super Bowl week. We're Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Of course, UFC's got a fight card come up here on Saturday, UFC Vegas 86. We'll talk about that towards the end of the show. Also, we'll talk about uh, everything going on in the world of MMA. Dana White has made some news this week with his comments about uh, when could we potentially see Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler. Also, Bloody Elbow with some reporting on Dana White's deposition and his thoughts of Scott Coker. We'll get into that. Also, we'll talk about uh, some um, interesting post-fight interviews last week at UFC Vegas 85 with Charlie Racky and Money Moncano. But, uh, of course, we're here to talk about everything kind of going on just in our world of, of going on. So I, I know I was over on the IG this past weekend, and uh, Daniel, you were inside the wrestling ring again. Oh, man, it was such a phenomenal weekend of wrestling probably my favorite weekend of wrestling i've had so far on saturday we had AEW in town and um so i have a good friend and he was the one who put on the show on sunday that we wrestled for he's the spanish commentator for AEW, and uh, here in the rio grande valley we have a phrase that says budo 956 that's what we say it's like a rallying cry anyways my friend told tony khan to say that whenever Tony came out to give his comments, oh my God, the crowd went wild. When he said, Budo 956, the crowd went wild. The AEW show was great. Apparently the crowd did so well that he told them that he would be back uh, online. People were reacting well to the crowd reaction. And I saw one of my friends who I train with uh, named James Blackheart, another friend named Jesse Valentine. They were jobbers on the Ring of Honor portion of the taping. So they had an opportunity to uh, be a part of a Ring of Honor taping. So that was so cool. And then the next day, we had the big show at Cena El Rey, the local theater where I learned wrestling and had been shut down since the pandemic to wrestling. And we sold the place out. You know, 200-some people. It was packed. The show was filled with several people who are part of the AEW roster and they were so amazing to work with. And it was so cool to do my match and then just watch the show, man. And, uh, it was, it was a blessed wrestling weekend. And, um, how about you, man? Are you still recovering from Gasparillo? How's the old liver? It's doing good, man. It's doing good. I, I will tell you this. Uh, I had someone in the office the other day, and, and they were you know, basically just kind of checking up on me and they're like, Hey, how you doing? I go, I go, honestly, I'm doing great. I got back into the gym on Sunday, and I don't know what it is, but something about getting back in the gym, working out, you just feel better about yourself. Yeah, you do. You really do once you get it done. For me, I save my gym sessions till the end of the day, and honestly, that is a struggle because, like, you know, I'm going to go to the gym after I record this podcast after I've already had an eight-hour work day, after I've already been in traffic for two hours. So just getting to the gym is hard. I got so many voices in my head telling me, Daniel – just chill out and drink a beer. But the second you get in there and the second you get done, don't you feel like you accomplished something and you feel a little healthier? You know, the, those pants will fit a little bit better in the morning after you do some cardio in the gym versus, you know, drinking some daddy sodas, which I probably will do this weekend. The biggest thing for me that I've noticed since getting back into into the grind of, of going to the gym on the daily is my energy level. 
Like I, that's the one thing I've really just noticed. My energy level is through the roof. I mean, I was going through a, a, a time period, you know, recently where I, I felt like I was hitting the wall middle of the afternoon, and now I just man, I, the energy level is, is insane. And yeah, I mean, I, I've been I was at the gym at five thirty this morning because I had an early meeting, so I had to get there early. But yeah, I'd rather go early in the morning than at night. I went at night last night, and like you couldn't even get on a, a treadmill. It was it was insanely packed. I mean, it's just like, it was, I mean, I've kind of feel like either you got to get there about 530 or you got to get there about 7 a.m. Like that, that like 615 to 630, 645 time range at the gym I go to, it is insanely packed. Yeah. Yeah. It starts to peter out around 8 p.m. It's still packed at 8 p.m. where I'm from, but around six o'clock when people are, everyone's getting off work, you're lucky to find the machine you want. And you just got to be able to adjust on the fly. Be like, well, I can't do that machine, so I got to do this. Can't do the Stairmaster, so I got to do this. And so that does suck. But, uh, man, power to you for waking up early and getting to the gym. That's one thing I honestly cannot do. I cannot get up early and get things done. I just need to do everything at the end of the day. Because as soon as that alarm clock hits, I I would disappoint disappoint David Goggins. I hit that snooze button. Yeah, I feel like for me, I just have to get up and do it first thing in the morning because like yesterday, I'll tell you, man, I woke up and my body was sore. Like I, I was starting to feel the effects of lifting weights for the you know the past couple of days. And last night I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the gym. I'm, I'm just going to do some cardio I, I, just to stay active and get out there. And I will tell you, man, I, I feel great, uh, man. It's, it's probably the best I've felt in, in months. And, and the only thing I can really attribute to is going back to the gym. I mean, there may be people on our listening audience that kind of relate to it, but for me, like I, you sit there and, you know, someone's asking me, was like, you know, why, why do you think you feel so good? I go, the only thing I can point to is just getting into the gym. Yeah. So for people who don't go to the gym and you're listening to this, or if you just, you don't have to go to the gym, you just got to exercise, just yeah. do a little bit of exercise and you will feel better. Trust me, you'll feel better about yourself, but most importantly, your health is going to improve because your body does need that type of exercise. So I'm glad you're in the gym, man. We'll get you on some Tony Ferguson, David Goggins, Josh Fabia, Diego Sanchez workouts, and uh, we'll get you rolling, man. We'll get you ready to fight Francis Ngannou in the summer. I, I I would say this: David Goggins does come up in my TikTok uh, feed because I am in this this social media motivational quote, you know, algorithm. And by the way, in, in the MMA terms, Michael Chandler has a really good TikTok channel. People have not checked it out. He, he has a lot of great uh, inspirational, motivational type stuff that he puts out there. We'll talk about Michael Chandler here uh, very shortly, but yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, but I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm ready for the week, uh, weekend. Of course, uh, we got the Super Bowl coming up this weekend. Uh, you, do you have a pick? I, I, I've had so many people ask me, and my pick is Kansas City just because I think they're playing better ball right now than San Francisco is. But uh, do you got a pick? Yeah, my heart says Kansas City, but my pick's going to be the Niners. Yes, the Chiefs are playing better ball. Most notably, the Niners' defense has absolutely dropped the ball in their last two playoff games. But they've had a week to really think about what's been going wrong on their side of the of the football. And at the end of the day, I look at that regular season. I look at how good that Niners team was offensively and how solid they are in their front seven. And I just compared the skilled players on the San Francisco 49ers versus the skilled players on the Chiefs, which is basically just Travis, Kelsey, and Rasheed Rice. And when Rasheed Rice is your number two and the Niners' number two is Debo F. and Samuel, 
I'm riding with the Niners. I, I think I think Kyle Shanahan also. I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, they're both brilliant. And this is a brilliant Super Bowl. Brilliant coaches, mm-hmm. brilliant quarterbacks. Um, but I'm going to go with the Niners. I just think on paper they're the much better team. Oh, I think talent wise that they have the more talent. I just to me, it, and I say this all the time, it, it, it's a, I don't think it necessarily always the best team wins the Super Bowl every year. To me, it's the team who's the hottest and the healthiest, and that's why I do like Kansas City win on on Saturday or Sunday, excuse me. Now I think I believe it was uh, Saturday night. I t- I either text you Saturday night after the UFC fights are over. Or Sunday morning, I forget which one I text you and I said, I go, hey, if you're going to go watch any fight from this fight card, just go watch the code main event and stay around for the post-fight interview. And Hanato Money Makano did not disappoint in terms of his post-fight interview. Hey, Daniel Cormier, I love you, motherfucker. My father is 62 years old and he had a baby yesterday. So tomorrow when I get home, I'm going to get my wife pregnant another time. Money McConnell 3 is coming. I want to tell you another thing. I love fucking America, you know? I'm not an American, but in two years, I'll be an American. And after I'm done with fighting, I will serve as a police officer. I want to be a SWAT team and I want to kill the bad guys. Make no mistake. There is right and there is fucking wrong. And people are forgetting about that. People are going crazy. I want people to respect the fucking law. Otherwise, this great country is going to be a third world country. Something is wrong in America. And I want a motherfucker to fix it right now. <laughs> I'm watching this live. I'm on my couch. I'm laughing. Yeah. Like, what, what do you think if you're not the McConnell's wife? <laughs> I guess you got to uh, stretch out. Um, you got to go down to business and get a, his father a little a uh, little threatened for the son. I mean, what sixteen two years old? Still got uh, it. Still, still got it. You know, I, it's been a big week for Wieners in between that and Drake. Um, a big week for MMA Guru, who we mentioned on the podcast, and Moicano apparently has a YouTube beef because Moicano is deep in the YouTube game with his own YouTube channel. I don't know if I want Moicano to be a police officer. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I want my officers to join the ranks with the number one reason being they want to kill people. Uh, yes, kill bad guys is a good is a good idea. I, I, well, you know, stopping bad guys from doing bad things is a good idea. But, you know, we have a jury. We have a judge. We have a whole system. You can't just go and choose and decide. And, and again, you as a SWAT team, you aren't involved in high-stakes situations every day in a single community. I don't think Hinato's going to be going like Liam Neeson to various cities. Like, high-profile situations only happen once in a blue moon. So maybe just be supportive of law enforcement. Don't necessarily think I want him with the badge, but I appreciate the energy. And the post-fight interview shows you how you can get yourself over you know, um, we had the main event, Delize and Imovov. We had the co-main event, Moicano and Dober. Moicano got himself over. He is the guy we are talking about. He is the guy we are interested in moving forward out of this fight night. He now becomes a relevant fighter on the game. In this day and age where we got Apex cards up the wazoo, fights are just happening like they're Big Max off the supply line and McDonald's. Hanato shows you you can still get over. You might have to be a little bit crazy, 
but you just got to give people a reason to care about you. And this week, Moicano did just that. After his post-fight interview, the very first thought I had was, if we don't see Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler, I could see where the Conor camp, the UFC, looks at Hinato at Moicano and go, we can make some money with this guy. Every time he gets a microphone, he elevates his status. He kind of walks that tightrope where you're scared he's going to say something really offensive. No, I, I wasn't. I didn't think he was going to do that. I, I just think that it's and like you just mentioned, when you get that mic time, you have to take advantage of the opportunity. You have to get people interested in you and your story. And he's got a YouTube channel and he's doing all these things. Like to me, Moncano is going to find himself in a big fight because he's taking advantage of the opportunities that are in front of him. He's not giving, you know, that, that cliche answer where everyone's just going to forget about him. We're going to talk about Charlie Racky in a second, even though you know he wants to get paid for interviews. Well, you know what? He could have sat there and talked for 15 minutes in the media, and no one's probably talking about him. The reason people are going to talk about Charlie Racky now is the fact that he says, hey, I want to get paid for interviews, and then reporters don't ask him any more questions. But to me, Mancano is, is taking advantage of that. In terms of the fight, my own, the, the one thing I just, as I was watching the fight, he gets the fight to the ground in the third round. He's in a dominant position. Within like 20 seconds of this thing hitting the mat, Mark Smith's like, you got to work, you got to work. I'm like... I'm sorry. I am in the mentality. It is not the referee's responsibility to get you off your back. It the fighter has to get himself off his back. And like as Mark Smith kept giving warning and warning, I'm just like, bro, like he's in a dominant position. It's not your job to to save Drew Dober. I mean, there should really never be a time where 20 seconds in a warning is being given. Warning should be given when it's clear stalling 20 seconds isn't enough time to stall and again McConnell was in a dominant position and consistently was going for submissions was going for ground strikes that was one of those deals where I hope Mark Smith received a talking to afterwards because that's just not the proper way to officiate that was a really strange call and it was immediately called out on the broadcast you know the other thing with Moicano in addition to the personality, he's a damn entertainment fighter. You know, he really is. In this fight, he had to go to the grappling because Drew Dober was getting the better of Hanato on the feet. And that's why Drew should feel good about himself. Moicano is incredibly talented. Dober made this a close fight. It was even heading into round three. And if Moicano didn't bring him down, he would have won that fight. You know, Dober went for that one move he was going for that was successful in the second round. It was unsuccessful in the, in the third round, kind of the little move within the clinch. So it was a win-win for both guys. I'm excited for Moicano's future. Don't necessarily think Moicano is going to come out here and win a lightweight championship, right? When you compare his skill level versus the champ Mahachev, there's, there's levels of this. Match him up against Conor McGregor. I think he's got a real shot. You know, I think Conor clearly – would be the better fighter on the feet. It would be a fight where I think would it would end be a knockout if it plays out on the feet. But he's given himself that level of stardom to possibly get that fight. And I think the star of Moicano is going to continue to build. I just wonder what took so long. He's been in the UFC for a long time. I wonder what happened where we have had this switch. But he clearly has switched on to do not give an F. And uh, it's worked well. The WTF moment of this card has to be the scorecards in the main event. 
I don't know what fight Ron McCarthy was watching to think this thing's a draw. I mean, obviously, we had the point deductions. To me, the first round, I think the judge that got the scorecard right in this one is Derek Cleary, who gave a 10-8 first round where literally Roman DeLizze, he's in the old uh, Jim Ross line, he is one tough son of a bitch because there might be, if that's not a main event, I think there's a lot of referees who come in and stop that fight in the opening round. I thought that was a 10-8 round. I mean, Sal Diamato gives the first, the third, and the fifth for Imovov. Scores the fourth round, a 9-9 round because of the point deduction. Gave Delidze the second round. Ron McCarthy gives the first, second, and fifth to Imovov. Gives the second and fourth to Delidze and giving Delidze a 10-8 round in the fourth round due to the, the point deduction. Just to me, that that's the odd one. And when you're over MMADecisions.com, uh, the scores are either 49-44 in terms of the media scores, 49-46 or 48-45 for Imovov. I, I don't know how Ron McCarthy could score that fight 47-47. Yeah, I agree with you. Clear 10-8 round one. Major mistake from Imovov to do that and he, that kick to the – the grounded opponent. Another major mistake is to lose his focus and get in an argument with Chris Curtis. But at least we know what fight is next for both those gentlemen. Bad scorecard. Clear win for Imovov. Simply put, Imovov was the much better striker. Technically, he was just superior. It paid off. And he also landed some big blows. There were some rounds that were close. Don't get me wrong. But this was a clear unanimous decision for Imovov. He's an exciting fighter at middleweight. Don't necessarily think he's going to be a top five guy in this weight class. I think that's where his ceiling is. You look at the Chris Curtis level, that's where I think Imovov's ceiling is. But certainly, he showed there's a gap between himself and Delizze in that main event. No doubt about it. Charlie Racky, of course, uh, he goes out there, has a great first-round victory, but what we're all talking about is that post-fight press conference that he had where he says, quote, give me that 50K. I'm broke. I won't stop talking about it until I get it. You guys get these interviews for free. I need to get paid. Let's go. And then no more questions. Like, literally, like, you can sit there and, and you know, say whatever you want to say about him wanting to get paid for interviews. But the fact is, like, if he would have sat there and talked for 10, 15 minutes, just answered the questions, whatnot, like, he's not a part of the narrative after the fact. And, like, so, like, part of me says, like, it's kind of brilliant. But then it's also kind of like you, you kind of miss out on an opportunity maybe to tell your, your story a little bit. Well, the one reason why I think he probably shouldn't have said that is because He's still doing damage control from the first fight when he said a slur. Yep. You know, I, I just think maybe lay low, Chuck Buffalo. But if you followed his pre-UFC career, that's not in his vocabulary. That's not how he operates. He is an outrageous personality. He says outrageous things. Um, it was a funny. It was a funny moment when nobody has questions. <laughs> to me. I don't like how people took this one so seriously online. I saw a lot of people took it seriously. We're always looking to get up in arms. And mm -hmm. to me, this was something where it was kind of taken out of context by a lot of people. To me, he was more so complaining about not getting that bonus maybe. And, and it wasn't necessarily like, hey, I'm never doing interviews if you don't pay me. I really didn't feel like that's what he was meaning. But he's a guy with outburst. And it was a funny moment. And in all likelihood, it worked in his favor because, as you mentioned, Charles Radke is the number two name people are talking about, more so than Imovov. He has 
a much bigger digital footprint heading off of this event. At the end of the day, though, this is a fight game. This is about what you do in the cage, not what you do in the post-fight presser. So you need to have the skill to back it up, especially if you go and you say some crazy stuff, get on the media's bad side. I don't know if Charles Radke has the skills, right? Um, Fight against Blood Diamond wasn't great. Fight against Urbina was great. The one thing for Gilbert Urbina, if you get hit in the balls, man, maybe it takes some time. He got hit in the balls. He got right back in there. He got laid out. So sad night for my boy from the RGV. At the end of the day, when I look at Chuck Buffalo, this is a guy with power. This is a guy who likes to scrap, a guy who likes to brawl, a guy with potential to be a name. He needs to be doing interviews because he can talk well when he's not saying slurs and hateful speech. And he should be doing interviews because he is an interesting personality, an outgoing personality, a charisma person. But, uh, yeah, hopefully that's not a, a long-term ploy because, bro, the media there, half of them aren't even getting paid, bro. How are they going to pay you questions, you know? Yeah, that that's a great point. Now, my other a major takeaway uh, from this fight card was Molly McCann dropping down to one fifteen, and and she looked absolutely amazing. I mean, we we've seen some some great performance of her at one hundred twenty five pounds, and, and you know she talked about this is where she needs to be at one fifteen. To me, she looked amazing. Uh, and, then, and then if I was going another honorable mention, I think Thimba Grimbo going out there in thirty two seconds and getting the victory. Yeah, only fighter from Zimbabwe looking good against Pete Rodriguez. When I look at what you hadn't mentioned, I got two fights. I got three. One, it's a shame for Kizrif. Comes out there, does an eye poke, cuts a dude's cornea. We call it a night. Like That's kind of stuff to do a whole fight camp. You only fight for 11 seconds. You can just throw an eye poke. Randy Brown looked good against Salikov. Showcases length and power, getting that finish. And lastly, um, Natalia Silva against Viviana Rajo. That was um, you know, probably... One of the more higher quality fights in terms of where these fighters stack up in their weight class. Yeah. That women's flyweight. Uh, Vivian really did well in round one with the clinch, but Natalia did enough on the feet in two and three to, to win that. And she's one of the more impressive fighters at women's 125 as she moves forward by successfully passing a pretty sturdy test. And, of course, uh, later on the show, we'll talk about the, the UFC event that's coming up on Saturday, UFC Vegas 86. So let's move over to uh, things that have happened with Dana White over the past couple of days. He was on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. Of course, he was doing uh, the radio road tour there in Las Vegas. And, of course, he's asked about Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler. His quote, eventually, hopefully this year, there's no date. I'm hoping for the fall that we can get it done in the fall. And, Daniel, I am now to the point of – just let me know when they're fighting because clearly there is a side of this story that is not public knowledge. And I think it's, you know, if you, you read the kind of uh, what various people are saying, this is maybe more about the fact that Conor McGregor only has two fights left on his current UFC contract. And I'm sure the UFC, you know, is trying to get him to a new deal. I'm sure Conor may be looking at that money that's being thrown out in Saudi Arabia, maybe thinking, Hey, that's a good opportunity there. But like I saw this, um, on on uh, Facebook earlier today, and I share it with Daniel right before the show, and it's the last time Michael Chandler fought was November twelfth of twenty twenty two. At the, since he has fought, Alex Pajea was yet to become a UFC champion. Alexander Volkanovsky was undefeated in the UFC, and Ilya Taporia was ranked number fourteen at featherweight. And it is just like I just I do wonder does there become a point where Michael Chandler just goes. I'm done waiting. 
No, because he's been waiting for too long. He's too deep in the game, Jason. He is in the latter portion of his career, and it has been wasted waiting for this fight. At this point, Jason, in my opinion, he has no other option but to wait for this fight because the payoff will be huge. There will be a good financial reward that is worth it because he's already wasted the time. Time is the one commodity we cannot get back. And that's been the biggest negative out of this whole story is that from 35 through 37 and potentially age 38, we've not seen one of the most exciting fighters in the roster fight. At this point, he's got to hold steady because that payday will be worth it. That's a life-changing payday. That's money you put in your bank account for your kids and grandkids. He's got to wait it out. It's frustrating, but that's a good promise to have. I guess I got to ask you, man, what happens first? You know, we saw the news, and there really was no news. It was just Peter Murray going out there and saying, in February, we'll announce a fight for Francis in the summer. So let me ask you, what happens first? Francis fighting the PFL or Connor fighting Michael Chandler? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, man, that's a good one. I, I, I think I lean Fran. Oh man, I probably lean Francis fighting in in the PFL. I'm gonna go with Chandler and uh, Connor. <laughs> it's close because at least PFL has a date. Oh, sorry, I poked my dog in the eye. I'm like freaking kids right out here. Um, PFL has a date summer. UFC has a date, fall. If Francis does well against Anthony Joshua, he will not be fighting in the summer in MMA. (laughs) So that's why I'm leaning Connor and Chandler. There was a point in time where I thought that was going to be the main event of UFC 300. I'm sure the UFC 300 main event will be announced next week because I don't think they'll announce it this week because of the Super Bowl. It's a lot of media coverage covering the Super Bowl. Yeah, I believe believe tickets go on sale next week. So I would imagine, you know, we're going to have it. And I, there was a time about within the last two weeks, I really thought it was going to be Connor. And it it just, it's becoming very clear to me that that's unlikely that that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look at Dana's comments, how can you think Connor, you know, he, I think Dana has a good idea right now what the main event is. And um, he wouldn't be setting up people for his comments on McAfee if it wasn't Connor, unless it's the ultimate swerve. But I, I doubt it. I mean, it really seems like it's going to be Tom Aspinall involved, and you look at him tweeting out those flights. So I, I don't know, but I, I do think this time next week when we hop on this podcast, we will be talking about the UFC 300 main event. No, I'm with you there. Now, the other uh, topic I want to mention with Dana White was uh, great reporting from Bloody Elbow as uh, they had the deposition from Dana White uh, talking about various things. And the one thing that I want to talk about is what he had to say about Scott Coker. And it's it says, quote, one of the text exchanges revealed from the antitrust lawsuit was about Bellator booking a matchup between former UFC champion Steve Ortiz and Quentin Rampage Jackson. Lorenzo Fertitta sent Dana White a message saying, I thought they don't take UFC castoffs. Dana White was then asked about this in his deposition. This is how the exchange went. Dana White, that Bellator had come out and said, we won't take UFC castoffs. Questions. 
All right. And but nevertheless, UFC viewed Mr. Ortiz and Mr. Jackson as essentially cast offs. White, that's that's Scott Coker's MO. Scott Coker doesn't build anybody, right? He doesn't turn anyone into stars. He just makes that takes old names and recycles them. He's he's a very, very bad promoter. Question, okay. White, very bad at what he does. Question. All right. And that's what you're saying. I just want to understand you because Mr. Coker's been in several different promotions, right? Uh, white, right, question, okay. White, all failures. I saw someone respond to this story, and I thought it had the best rebuttal to what Dana White had to say here. So if you think he's a very bad promoter, why did you hold him to a non-compete after you let him go from Zufa? Yeah. Why did you buy his promotion? You know, uh, you know, Dana's saying something that's not true. You know, it's not shocking. Look, Scott Coker knows how to make stars. He did that. Did Scott Coker use names from the UFC's past to promote big shows in Strike Force? Yeah, he did. That's what any person would do. You look at the resources available, you put them on your promotion, and you book the best possible cards. Basically, the majority of Scott's biggest shows do involve former UFC talents. But their biggest shows don't involve UFC cast-offs. They involve Dan Henderson, who was not a cast-off. He chose to sign with Strike Force to, for a better deal because his relationship with the UFC at the time. He was he was screwed out of a fight. He was promised a certain financial for a big-time fight. He didn't get that finance. He went to Strike Force. Scott built stars. You know, he built Gina Carano. He built Chris Cyborg. He built Daniel Cormier. He built Luke Rockhold. He made people care about Brett freaking Rogers when he took on Fedor. Scott knows how to make stars. He made Kung Lee a star when he took on Frank Shamrock. But he used Frank Shamrock to build his initial brand. So, yeah, he uses former UFC fighters. But I wouldn't call Frank Shamrock at that time a cast-off. He was someone who had a bad relationship with the UFC and became available. And if Scott Coker doesn't bring women's mixed martial arts to a national stage, who knows if female MMA is what it is today? I forgot about Ronda freaking Rousey. <laughs> he made Ronda Rousey into a star. Jesus. And look at all the, the strike force fighters who ultimately came over to UFC, became champions, Luke Rockle, Tyron Woodley. I mean, look, Scott Coker knows how to develop. I think it's his, the way Scott Coker promotes fights versus the way Dana White promotes fights, it's, it's different because Scott takes a very, I, I would almost say kind of, when we're talking about younger fighters, almost kind of like a boxing model of, you know, hey, I'm going to get these fighters a lot of cage time, and I'm going to get them the right fights, I'm going to build them up the right way, I'm just not going to throw them to the wolves, where for the most part, that's kind of the UFC's mentality of, of let's just throw that, that young fire to the wolves and see what he's got. I mean, let's be honest about it. Joe Pfeiffer this weekend is a perfect example of this. We're going to find out what Joe Pfeiffer is all about. But like what I saw, and, and by the way, Bloody Elbow is doing tremendous coverage. The only thing I'll say, criticism of the Bloody Elbow, the pop-up ads on your website, kill, they're killing me. They're killing me. Yeah. And they're literally popping up like literally right in the content and you can't even get rid of them. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, there's so many. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. It was, when, when, you at? Yeah. When I was pulling uh, the quotes for the pod today and I'm like, this is awful. Like this sucks as a viewer. Like does no one over there look at this and go, Hey, this is not really great for the people who are checking out our website. Dude, every three paragraphs, like it's not even that the ads there, it just pops up and it's like, hello. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize I mean, maybe I was just numb to it because you know, some of my favorite websites are kind of like that. Like the ringer isn't as bad, but they do have a lot of ads. New York times has ads sometimes. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty bad, but you know, bloody elbow's got to make some money. Oh, no question about it. By the way, talk about uh, someone who was trying to make money. We, we talked about this now for us. We the third straight week. We've talked about this fighter's name. Sage Northcutt had a Instagram post today where he went all in on one championship where it starts off with one championship is implying that I pulled out of the Ashenian fight for unforeseen circumstances. This is completely inaccurate. And Daniel, this is when you talk about Sage Northcutt, this is not exactly a guy that you expect is just going to, uh, you know, a, a nice guy. And if you haven't seen the Instagram post, he basically goes and details all the issues and, I think I, I said last week, I was like, you know what? I feel like we're not getting the complete story. Well, we now have got Sage Northcutt's side of the story. I'm so glad this is on the podcast because, and you were right, man, with what you said. Because I was hard on Sage. I was like, he should have fought. Yada, yada. I owe Sage Northcutt an apology. When I get his side of the story here, it's crazy. It was either one championship was incompetent. Or they were trying to screw him over to make him lose to Shinya. It's one or the other. And either way, Sage was completely justified in pulling out. I take back everything I said last week when I I was kind of alluding to the fact that I thought he should have fought. Absolutely not. Um, Just to put his comments on the record for the pod, for those that haven't seen it, although I'm sure a lot of people have, he basically says, I sent one, then paperwork, required to get my coach's visas. 48 days ahead of the event. I was told over the phone that my coach didn't need a visa since I paid for his flights and trip, so he wasn't a working employee. Then he says, I received a text from an unknown number that texted me for the first time that day was asking me about getting tickets for my coaches to watch the fight. And then he goes on to say, we were told hours before my match, my coaches violated the visa requirements and were caught on camera. They could be arrested, and there was a 99.8% conviction rate. So, yeah. Sage, I'm sorry. You should never fight for one championship again, and I hope he's able to fight somewhere else. Uh, The end of his post on Instagram also stuck out to me where he says, there has been a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with one championships with what caused me to withdraw from my last fight, as well as other things that I will talk about at a later time on Facebook, Instagram, and with media outlets. And he outlines drug testing, weight cutting slash policies, active athletes slash roster, one's stability Etc. And then he tagged multiple outlets there. So I mean, look, this is this is something we don't see from Sage Northcutt. We don't see him go out on, on social media and kind of put things out there. So it's something I said last week. Like you know, typically there's going to be three sides to a story. There's going to be you know, you know, person A side, person B side, and then probably the truth. It might be somewhere in the middle, or you know, one side is telling the truth, one side's not. So I mean, we, when we talk about all the the stories that are out there with one championship. This is a really bad look for one championship. I'm sure they'll go on the offensive uh, and, and try to, you know, 
to, you know, go after Sage Northcutt in this one. But to me, that was a very interesting because, uh, like I said, you just don't see Sage Northcutt go out there and put those type of comments out there. I mean, he's, he's usually just a, a well-respected guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Who knows? Maybe one championship will have a rebuttal that makes me flip 360 degrees again. But I kind of doubt it, especially when you look at the fact that they went out there and put Shinya in there with the 125er, basically, and John Lineker. <laughs> they were wanting to get that dude's hand raised. And the thing is, Shinya didn't need any help to get his hand raised against Sage Northcutt. Shinya's a damn good grappler. You know, so... Really strange situation. In all likelihood, if I had to guess, we're looking at incompetence here. When I look for that motive, it's there to make it easier for Shinya to win. But it's not, to me, my gut instinct is telling me incompetence. Regardless, Sage was completely justified in not fighting. Yeah, I think when you you uh, see all the fires and their complaints with one championship right now, you got to imagine if you're a United States-based fighter, you got to be at this point now sitting there going, I don't know if I want to fight for one championship. But uh, let's move ahead to this weekend. Of course, uh, it is UFC Vegas 86, another fight card inside the UFC Apex. And uh, I was telling Daniel before the show, I'm actually kind of surprised that it's not a bigger fight card for the UFC this week just because of the Super Bowl being in Las Vegas, so many people being in Las Vegas, that we might got a little bit uh, more name value on this fight card but it's, it's your it's your typical apex card and uh you know you, you look at the main event with joe pfeiffer and jack romanson classic ufc matchmaking you've got the the vet that's been around on a little bit of a downslide even though his losses are against the elite of this division taking on the young rising fighter who you know over the past couple months it's all about wanting more money wanting that big money well if you want big money you're going to, have to take on the top of this division and it's one of these fights where we, we all see the talent with Joe Pfeiffer and what he has. It's just, to me, it's that question of, is it too soon? Is it too much of a, a jump up in competition from going from taking on uh, Al Hassan to now taking on Jack Hermanson? And then, like, the, the other part about this fight card, Daniel, is we've got some OGs of the UFC fighting this weekend. Andre Feely's been in the UFC for 11 years. Michael Johnson's been around forever. Brad Tavares has been around forever. I mean, like that to me is the other part of this story is like, yeah, we've got a, a very notable matchup in the middleweight division, which the middleweight division really has been uh, on showcase here the past couple of weeks. But the other thing is we've got some OGs fighting here on Saturday. Yeah, man, they should, uh, they should have put this damn event, even with this kind of like weaker fight card, just put it in a random arena because they could probably put people in that building. There's so many people in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. So many people. On a Saturday night, hey, let's go watch some fights. I bet they could do real well in a smaller venue with this fight card. Even though this fight card isn't that good, it's something to do. People love watching people fight. This was a drop. This is a missed opportunity. Realistically, the UFC should have done a pay-per-view this Saturday because, again, they used to do it. Super Bowl weekend, a big show. But it's literally in Las Vegas. Like, how fantastic is that? That's so fortunate. And you really could have captured the sport and zeitgeist when you have so many people there on that Saturday. There really isn't that many big Super Bowl storylines that happen Saturday night. The Super Bowl takes a lot of oxygen, but it takes a lot of oxygen on Sunday. So I do think it was a missed opportunity. And who knows when the Super Bowl will be back in Las Vegas. In all likelihood, it'll probably be eight years, maybe six, don't know. I think this will be a part of the rotation because it's such a phenomenal location. It makes all the sense in the world to have the Super Bowl here. 
But um, maybe we'll see some interesting guests in the house in the Apex. Looking at this fight, Jason, I'm rolling with Joe Piper. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, Hermanson's a big step up. He's a, he's a talented striker, a bit of a unique striker. He's a good grappler, really strong top position. Joe's good at grappling too. Clearly, the one thing he doesn't want to do is be on his back in this fight. I think he's going to be able to keep it on the feet, utilize his power that apparently is greater than Francis Naganu's, and win via knockout. Yeah, I mean, I think when I look at uh, you know Jack Hermanson, the question you have with him is obviously you know has been on a little bit of a skid up and down a little bit, but he's losing to the top of this division. You do have a little bit of question marks of maybe is that chin starting to go there? But on the other side for Joe Pfeiffer, like I mentioned, you know, big step up in competition from who he's been fighting to now taking on Jack Hermanson. But also, I do wonder like, what if this fight hits the third round? What if it hits the fourth round? What if it hits the fifth round? Does he have that cardio to go twenty five minutes? We just have not seen it. It's a unknown. He very well may have that cardio to go 25 minutes. We just have not seen it. I mean, I, I do favor Joe Pfeiffer in the matchup, but it is a big step up in competition. And, and just, uh, by the way, I did look up. The next four Super Bowl locations are already set. Next year being uh, New Orleans. The following year being Santa Clara. And then the 2026 season will be in L.A. And I would imagine, uh, I, I think Vegas is going to be in that rotation. That that would be my hunch is that Vegas yeah. is going to be a place that they go to the Super Bowl for um, it'll, it'll, you know, it'll, I think there's got you know, probably about five, six cities. I think are always going to kind of be in that rotation. Yeah, ironically, Indianapolis is one of those cities. That's the city they tend, tend to go to a lot. But it's like, yeah, we're going to hit Texas. We're going to hit Florida. We're going to hit Cali. We're going to hit Vegas. We're going to hit New York occasionally, not often, but got to hit somewhere on the East Coast every once in a while. But by and large, it's going to be those Southern states with good weather, and uh, it doesn't get much better. Than Las Vegas, but as you mentioned, yeah, a lot of interesting names on the main card. The number one fight on the fight card is Feely Ige, and it's not even close. It's a really compelling featherweight matchup. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Dan Ige wins that one, but Andre Feely has really looked well lately. Um, the other fights I'm looking forward to, I think Gregory Rodriguez is going to perform well and do good against Brad Tavares. I'm interested on in the prelims. There's some interesting fights, but uh, by and large, it's another Apex card. It's not that sexy. We're going to get down to business next week when we're talking about the pay-per-view with Tapuria and Volkanovski. There'll probably be very little mention of what happens this Saturday on next week's podcast. Yeah, you never know. I mean, obviously, it's it's an earlier start. Uh, prelims, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Main card, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And, and I'll say this. One of the guys that's on the card that I always like enjoy watching him fight just because I like his fighting style, and that's Michael Johnson. And you talk about those threads that come up on X. Like when you talk about just a weird resume, you're talking about, and obviously it's been a very up and down UFC run for Michael Johnson, but you think about, you go back to, he was a knockout win over Dustin Poirier back in 2016, which is crazy. At that stretch, he went one in five, or yeah, one in five in a six fight stretch. Where he lost Benil Darius, lost to Nate Diaz, lost to Habib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gaethje, Darren Elkins, but then has a knockout win against Dustin Poirier. Unbelievable. 
And then, the, <laughs> then he's he's talking to me this week that he actually blocked uh, Darius Flowers on uh, social media. Uh, so, and, and Darius Flowers is a guy that primarily does want to sit there and, and strike with him. So, it, stylistically, it could be a very fun matchup. But, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, outside of the main event, to me, the co-main event is the one that does stick out to me. Uh, well, I do favor Dan Ige uh, in that one. Uh, you know, Brad Tavares has been around for a long time. I just think he's got to kind of stay out of getting into uh, into a firefight there. Uh, Rodolfo Vieira, Armin Petrosian is another one that, that does interest me. Petrosian, obviously needs to keep the fight on the feet. You do not want to get into a jiu-jitsu matchup with Rodolfo Vieira. Uh, you know, and, and of course, we, we've seen uh, Rodolfo gas out in fights. Uh, not necessarily a great takedown artist, but if Petrosian can keep that thing on the feet, I think he's got a chance to go out there uh, and, and get the win. But uh, yeah, overall, I mean, it, look, it's an apex card. I mean, it's it's this is what we're used to, and um, I know I sent you the, uh, the text there um, that I saw on Saturday. Uh, Suzanne, uh, who's done some stuff in the MMA industry, uh, she talked about the fact of since uh, since the first event of May 30th, 2020, 56.87% of all UFC events have been held in the Apex. She goes on to say, would y'all like some more Apex facts? Good, because I spent some time mathing. Since 2020, 53.2% of all UFC events have been held in the Apex. Since 2020, 65% of the UFC events held in the United States have taken place in the Apex. Since leaving the Apex slash Fight Island bubble on April 24, 2021, 51% of all UFC events have been held in the Apex. That uh, go on the stats, but you know, it's one of these things of, I know Apex events are not going to be ending, Daniel, but it wasn't that long ago that Dana White talked about how they were going to get away from the Apex, they were going to do more shows on the road, but I just think it's financially, it's just it's such a win-win for the UFC that... I think we're going to continue to see these Apex cards where the UFC is going to, is going to be delivering content to ESPN. And, and I've said this, like, I understand why the UFC does it, but, like, to me, the biggest loser of Apex cards is, is us, the combat sports fan who's going to sit on their couch on a Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, because at the end of the day, we want to get excited about fights. We don't want to sit there and go, oh, man, there's two fights I really like on this card when we've got 12 total fights overall. You know who else is a big loser? ESPN. Okay. You go to the bank. You go to the bank and you ask for a crap load of money. And you're like, I want to get that UFC product. That fight night you put on on Fox Sports and on Spike TV. All of those great cards. I'm going to pay you a crap ton of money. And that's what you get. ESPN, that's what they get. ESPN paid UFC a bunch of money, and it has worked well. People have bought the service because of the UFC, but didn't really get great fight night events for all that money. All that content you're getting, it could have been such better content for you, the service. And you, if you were in ESPN, how do you look at these Apex cards and have an opinion? Bear, I know you don't like the Apex cards either. How, how, how do you look at that and be like, damn, we got our money's worth for all this content? And how much of that is the after effect of understanding, you know, post-COVID that they could put on these events and just not have to worry about having to sell a single ticket? Yeah. So they don't need to worry about having to sell a single ticket because they already have all the money. And it's like, damn, if you're ESPN, like, you're like, maybe next time we should put like some type of uh, performance <laughs> clause in this content we're buying you know like 
uh, yeah, you need to that, sell a certain amount of tickets so we get a quality product. I love combat sports, but like there has been many times over the last six, seven months, I've sat there and said, you know what? I'm going to go out and live life as opposed to sit at home and watch a UFC fight night card just because, you know, on paper, it doesn't excite me. I'll, I'll watch it after the fact, but like I, there was definitely a time where I, I was in front of my television every Saturday for a UFC event. Yes. The fight night value has gone way down than what it is today. At the end of the day, it's still a great deal for ESPN because what it did was it got all these hardcore fans to subscribe to their service, and that's really what anyone wants to do in this streaming day and age. It made ESPN Plus a place that people normalize going to for sports content. That's invaluable. But they got a raw deal on the fight night content. Yes, ESPN wants content, but they want good content. Apex cards aren't the fight night cards in front of an actual crowd with an actual good card. You know, the UFC has turned UFC fight nights into the ultimate fighter. You're right. Yeah, hopefully that changes. But when you look at what Suzanne wrote, I'm kind of stunned. I'm not super stunned because it makes sense, but the idea that 51% were in the apex is really sad. Yeah, I mean, look, and, and we both know this. When the UFC wants to put their best foot forward, they can. I mean, just I mean, and you just look at the pay-per-views, and uh, I don't know if you've uh, seen Ilya Tsipuria. Confidence is not an issue. Yeah, what's he been saying? Oh, he is just how he's not going to give Volkanovski a rematch and all this. I'm like, look, if you go out and destroy Alexander Volkanovski next week, okay, I understand that. But if it's a close fight, hate to tell you, he's getting an immediate rematch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's going to happen. It's well established. If you've held a championship for a long time and you lose a close fight, hell, you can even get knocked out. You might still get that rematch. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that probably no matter what, I mean, and it's going to be, you know, I guess let's end on this. Uh, you mentioned this. We're, 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 by the time we record next week, we're going to know what the UFC 300 main event is. If I was going to put betting odds on what I think the favorite is to be the, the uh, main event, I would say Dracus Duplessis and Izzy. It's a hell of a hell of a hell of a pick. I think you're right. If if I was going to go an outside the box, a fight that I think would get people talking and intrigued, Alex Bahia going up to heavyweight to challenge Tom Aspinall. Yeah, to me, those are the two biggest ones, and then. If we're going to go with which fight is the missionary position, it's uh, Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad. That's the that's the missionary. Like that one's like, all right, well, fine, that's a fight. Yeah, I feel like if they can't find uh, that that sexy fight, I feel like that's the fight they turn to. But I, I just kind of feel like that's probably your UFC three hundred one main event. Yeah. What if what if they somehow convince Stipe to take that fight? I don't think you it know. goes well for Stipe. No, I don't either. He never gets that John Jones matchup. But, uh, you know, maybe they convince Stipe to take on Tom. I mean, what's a bigger fight? Aspinall versus Stipe or Aspinall versus Pereira? As a fight fan? Yeah. I, I would rather see Aspinall <laughs> Pereira. Yeah, me too. Me too. 
Like, just, like you just sit there and you say is like, hey, you want to whether you know you're sitting, you know, sitting on your couch by yourself, you're inviting the boys over, or you and the boys are going out to watch fights. If you tell me it's Aspinall versus Alex or Aspinall versus Stipe, I'd much rather have Aspinall versus Alex. Yeah, I totally agree with you, bro. Totally agree with you. I did see uh, Dana White said that the uh, Figueredo Garbrandt is going to be the first fight of the night at UFC 300. God dang. UFC 300 is stacked. Dana didn't lie when he said it was going to be stacked. Anyone hate on UFC 300 is crazy. It's a, it's a crazy card. I just wonder if they're going to have a different price point for UFC 300 from a residential pay-per-view uh, aspect. I don't know. I, I thought that was when they were going to bump the prices up. They said they weren't going to for the year, but it, it, if they do bump it up, it is the one time I will say it's worth it whenever you're starting the night off with Garbrand Figueredo. So on Friday night, you're going to sit at home and watch Power Slap 6? Is there going to be more people in the building for Power Slap 6 than the UFC event on Saturday? Wouldn't shock me. <laughs> By no, the I, way, we're going to have Power Slap on at the bar. Yeah? It's being offered people to bars at no at no additional cost. Oh, dude, yeah. People are going to watch it. It's like it, Power Slap is one of those things where if it's on, if it's on your social media feed, it's hard not to look away. You know, no one's going to go to the bar and be like, damn, they got power slap, I think. No, no, but, people are not going to, you know, basically go out of their way to go to a bar that has power slap. But I can see, like, you know, if you're just out on a Friday night, they have it on. And, you know, I can see where people are going, oh, okay. Oh, go, oh, shit, that dude just got knocked the fuck out. 100%. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Like, yeah. this is my thing still on social media. And, like, We've got people in this MMA content distribution area, creators, that for whatever reason still can't understand the fact of there is an audience out there that wants to watch Power Slap. It, I, I, I'm indifferent to it. I, I'm not going out of my way to watch it. You know, I'm not like a hater on it. I'm indifferent. But I'm also very much understanding like there is an audience out there that loves that shit. Are they doing weigh-ins? Like, I know there's a welterweight match, a lightweight match. So like, it, yeah, they do weigh-ins, yeah. That's insane. I mean, yeah, there's, it, weight, it makes, there's, there's weight classes. God, this website is pretty good, though. They do have a good website. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to become a power slap person, but you never know. I've always said I don't think it should be, like, a legalized sport because um, it seems kind of crazy because you can't defend against a, a thing that will probably give you brain damage. But... Um, I don't know. Like, why Why do you have to have your arms behind your back? <laughs> yeah, so you don't block it. I don't know. And then you got, like, the two referees standing behind him to catch the, to catch the fire when they get slapped. I wonder if Dana White, if you, t- if you put Dana in a room, you know, like, how many slap fighters on your roster can you name? I wonder how many he could get through. I wonder if he could name uh, Wolverine, Ron Beta. And, uh, I, I would, I, I would bet because that roster is not very deep. That I, Dude, would, it's I deep, would imagine bro. he knows majority was, of them. I'm on their strikers page. It's deep, man. I'd be scrolling. I mean, there's a lot of people on here without pictures, but uh, there's this full send Cole Young. There's the crazy Hawaiian Koa Viernes, who is two and zero. 
Hawaiian hit. Man, it's a lot of Hawaiians, but uh, there's a lot of people on this roster. By the way, anytime I see old clips of Dana and you see the way he looked like two, three years ago and you see how he looks now, you talk about a body transformation. Like, holy well, crap. Dude has put thick. in the work. Yeah, you got thick. In a good way. Muscular. But uh, you, yeah, see, he I, like- you, you see it in his face. Like, that's the biggest yeah. thing. I, like, you know, it's like, I, I, like, this is my thing. Like, yeah, I want to lose weight, but like, I'm not trying to step on the scale. Like that number doesn't like I'm not defined by that number. Yeah, yeah, I don't really weigh myself either. But you just want to feel better, look better. You know, you don't have to lose weight. What if you put on muscle instead? You know, be Jack Jason over here. I don't think you got to worry about me getting jacked. Go, bro. <laughs> I don't think yeah. you got to worry about that. I don't think I don't think that's something you got to worry about. Yeah, you know, yeah. Would I like to you know probably lose like you know. 20, 30 pounds, yeah. That'd, that'd probably be where I, I would like to get. But, like, yeah. Like, to me, it's about working out, but also um, eating better, too. Yeah, it's a combination. It's hard. But you, you know yeah. what the hardest part for me, though, is just like that. Like, last night's a perfect example. It's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm, I'm doing some things on the couch. And I'm like, oh, man, I kind of want a snack. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hardest part is whenever you – get in your head and you have one snack and you're like kind of want another one <laughs> it just never ends i was kind of oh, like yeah. that yeah. i was just snacking like a monster wasn't yeah, even man. hungry yeah but I, i'll tell you man i i gotta talk about the beginning of the show man I, I just man i i feel so much better and i just get back in the gym and getting the work in and you know sit there and you know you put the airpods in and uh you get to work man you just, you just feel a lot better so uh we got any uh, wrestling matches coming up uh, not until next Sunday. I'm going to be in a three teams. So six men are involved, but it's three tag teams. And, uh, okay. Yeah, Sunday is my next. Not this Sunday, obviously, but then the following Sunday. So I'm going to get in the gym tonight, do some Stairmaster, and get ready for my match. Hopefully go to a couple trains this next week and up, up my game so I can be at WrestleMania one day. Yeah, I know, I know as we're actually recording this show, they're doing that press conference, so I'm sure uh, that's probably some uh, news is going to come out of that one. So, uh, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in this episode of podcast. Of course, new episodes uh, typically come out on Wednesday. Sometimes they might come out on Thursday. You can always check it out on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, do apologize. Uh, didn't get the show on YouTube last week, but we'll get that up there this week as well. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast.